Hi, this is Pastor Emily McGinley from Urban Village Church, Hyde Park, Woodlawn. If you've been to UVC, you'll know that we seek to be three things, bold, inclusive, and relevant. We know that there are countless folks across the country and out there in podcast land like yourself, seeking a message that will bring insight, hope, encouragement, and joy as we do this thing called faith. Please consider making a financial gift to help us with this work of inspiring, equipping, and sending out agents of gospel life and inclusive love. Just go to www.urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks for listening, and God bless. Our passage today comes from Luke 18, verses 1 through 8. Listen for what God is saying to you. Then Jesus told them a parable about their need to pray always and not to lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor had respect for people. In that city there was a widow who kept coming to him and saying, Grant me justice against my opponent. For a while he refused, but later he said to himself, Though I have no fear of God and no respect for anyone, Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will grant her justice so that she may not wear me out by continually coming. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God grant justice to his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay long in helping them? I tell you, he will quickly grant justice to them. And yet, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? May God add a blessing to the hearing and living out of this scripture. Good morning again, Urban Village Church. Um, I'm going to grab this one over here. Uh, My name is Emily McGinley, and I have the great joy of serving as um, the pastor of this community and alongside so many other leaders who you have already seen come and stand and share up front um, this morning. Thank you for gathering on this holiday weekend um, that reminds us uh, that while the arc of the moral of the universe does bend, it might take a little longer than we would like. Um, Please join me in a word of prayer. God, we give you thanks for the gift that it is to come together and maybe just learn a little bit more about who you are and how you are in this world and where we fit in with all of that. And so we ask that you would be present, that your spirit would be present, and that she would move throughout our hearts and minds, opening us up to what it is that you have to say, enlivening our imaginations. And as we do that, God, I ask um, in the tradition of one of uh, uh, my colleagues in ministry that you would uh, tie my tongue to truth and my hand to the gospel plow that Whatever it is that comes forth from this old soil, that it would be glorifying to you and a delight to everyone who encounters it. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. So uh, as I meditated on our passage for this morning um, and I read various translations of it, I was struck by how I saw two different subtitles come up for this passage or this story. Uh, One was the uh, parable of the unjust judge. And the other was the story of the persistent widow. And most of the titles were the first one, which I think, and it makes sort of sense since the common interpretation centers around the judge, that that the judge is supposed to be a sort of counter to God. If the heartless judge will eventually grant justice to the widow, how much quickly will God? 
And while I don't think this is an incorrect interpretation, I think it's only one way to think about the story. But before I get into all that, it might be helpful to understand a little bit more about what's um, happening um, with this legal system that the widow is trying to navigate. The framework for governance in the Jewish community was laid out in the laws, uh, which you can read in the books of Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, all of which make for a wonderful rainy day reading. Um, there's a section of the law that deals specifically with widows. Jewish society really kind of only allowed women um, only two proper roles. Uh, she's either an unmarried virgin in her father's house or a faithful child-producing wife in her husband's or her husband's family's home. Um, and so in order to avoid complicating the picture, there were these things called leveret laws uh, in place to avoid a sort of sociological misfit. That is the awkward situation of a young, childless widow. The law states that if a man dies without leaving a son, his widow cannot, is forbidden to marry outside of the family. And so then her husband's brother, the lever, takes her as his wife and performs the lever's duty so that she might bear a son who can then be um, attributed to the dead brother and then presumably grow up to take care of his mom. So um, should the pinch hitter, uh, refused to do his duty. A ceremony is performed which releases the woman um, from the family bond and then allows her to marry outside of her family. So that's how it's supposed to work. But sometimes people don't want to do their duty, right? And you end up with some messy situations. If you Google uh, Tamar and Judah, you'll see what I mean. It's interesting. So uh, ratchet family circumstances aside, the point of all of this is to make sure that the people with the least power are taken care of. That's the point. Right? These days, we might call it something like a social safety net. So in our passage for today, something has clearly failed to work, right? because this woman has somehow been put out into the cold and left to fend for herself, and her only hope is to have her case heard by this judge. The upside, of course, to having nothing to lose is that you have nothing left to lose. And so day after day, she's coming at this judge, demanding justice, not compassion, not mercy, not a handout, just that she gets her due. Do your job, she is shouting, fingers waving in as many different ways as she possibly can to get this judge to hear. But unfortunately, this dude is like the honey badger of judges, right? <laughs> honey badger judge don't care about God. <laughs> honey badger judge don't care about people and certainly don't care about widows. And so honey badger judge only cares about himself. He's got dozens of widows lined up outside of his chambers every day. It's an endless thread of pathetic stories that he's tired of hearing, honestly. A bunch of victims who are leeching off the system and only want other people to take care of them. Most of them eventually realize that they're not going to get anywhere with this guy. They give up and disappear, which is the way he likes it. So what makes this woman any different? Well, first of all, she does not disappear. And secondly, she doesn't stop coming after him. And so after a while, she gets to him, not because her situation touches his conscience and changes his heart. No, this widow's story is the same as all of the countless women before her. So what is different? Here's what I think. She got in his head. Her insistent, irritating, bothersome, aggravating, exasperating, annoying, pestering provocations were disturbing Honey Badger Judge's tranquil apathy just a little too much. He couldn't enjoy his stiff end-of-the-day drink without hearing her shrill little voice with every sip. He couldn't swing his golf club without looking down at the ball and seeing her face with its big mouth crying out for justice. He couldn't even walk down the street without imagining her urgent little feet double-stepping right behind him. And so, out of sheer irritation and psychological fatigue, Honey Badger Judge decides to grant her justice. 
And the passage ends with this sort of moral of the story. Jesus says, listen to what the unjust judge says. Won't God provide justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he be slow to help them? Basically, if honey badger judge will grant justice, won't God do you even better? I've been thinking a lot about what it means to enact resistance in these days of a new national leadership that seems to care very little for justice. I've been thinking deeply about what it means to exercise power as we the people, and I'm sure many of you have as well. Rallies and demonstrations have their necessary, most, mostly symbolic place. And I'll be heading out to D.C. next weekend. Some of you will be marching here in Chicago to, for the Women's March for that very reason. But it's got to be more than that. If we're to hold our leaders accountable to what we, the people, desire out our society to look like, that means we've got to take a cue from this widow. For those representatives who don't fear God or really care about anything but their own security, it's on us to learn from the widow and get at them in the most basic way. Refuse to stay quiet. It might mean showing up day after day, badgering, pushing, prodding, and pestering our representatives to do just that. Represent. Not just those who contribute to their campaigns, but those who need representation the most. Make it impossible to go about their days without being confronted by your face, haunted by your voice, reminded of your presence. Eventually, they will have to hear you. When someone is coming at you like that, there is no way to avoid them forever. And this brings me to the third question that Jesus asked. The first two, remember, were, won't God provide justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night, and will he be slow to help him? And this feels like a pretty obvious way to end a parable, I think. But this third question might seem a little out of left field, I think. And yet, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? What does Jesus mean by this? A couple of months ago, I heard an interesting idea by a colleague, the Reverend um, Shannon Kirshner. She wondered, what if we've got it backwards? What if God is the widow? and we were the judge? What if God was the one coming to us over and over, trying to awaken our hearts and minds to the injustices that God is seeing? What if God is saying to us day after day, grant me justice? Most folks like to think of themselves as not being all that powerful. In a moral sense, it's much more comfortable, right, to be the underdog. You're the good guy, or at least, like, not the bad guy, right? <laughs> And add to that, in Christianity, uh, we are often taught to, that seeking power is bad. After all, uh, one of the central proclamations of our faith is that God gave up power to dwell among us, right? So it feels more right, or Christian somehow, to assume a position of powerlessness. And to this, the only way I could imagine God responding is like with a giant cosmic-sized face palm, because this story of God giving up power is only half of the gospel message. The other half is a story of power claimed through that very weakness. When Jesus laid down his body before the authorities that worked to preserve a culture of death and exploitation of the most vulnerable, Jesus was establishing a revolutionary way of multiplying power through sacrifice, willing, committed sacrifice for those who have no one else sacrificing for them. And so when I hear our president-elect talking about Republican John, or Representative John Lewis, someone whose faith and personal sacrifices are not only well-documented but ongoing, I have to laugh a little, right? Because he doesn't get it. 
I recently read that, uh, that he was willing to go to the National Cathedral as long as there would be no sermon preached. Because those words are dangerous words. And how hard his, however hard his heart might be, he's afraid of what they might do. And so he doesn't get it. He doesn't get how soul force, life-giving power works. He doesn't understand, but he feels the threat of it, right? He doesn't get that this kind of weakness is a catalyst for an exponential power that brings the mighty down and lifts the lowly a great equilibrium, but he feels it. He can feel it. This momentum, this momentum of a willing death and a resurrection truth that reminds us that kings and kingdoms, emperors and empires, presidents and republics cannot and will not stop the force for wholeness of life that was set in motion through Jesus Christ. This momentum, it spirals out among believers and followers. The movement for reconciliation and restoration that Jesus began continues on with each person who catches the vision. Because what Jesus was saying, and God was constantly saying, actually, through the Hebrew Bible, a.k.a. the Old Testament, is this. Shalom. Wholeness of life for all only happens when it gets embodied and multiplied out. And this only happens if you're willing to lay yourself down for it. It only happens if you're willing to work for it. Reconciliation and restoration was enacted and made possible through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But shalom is a living reality, ever-changing like running water. It didn't end with resurrection. It just got a boost. And so this means that we must be conscious, that we've got to stay woke in our pursuit of it. It doesn't arrive and then just stay arrived. It arrives and then must be maintained with a level of vigilance that cannot be swayed by fear or deception or intimidation. Friends, we need to remember this in troubling times when the predictions for the most vulnerable seem to be rolling back much faster than we can even keep track. How many of us have avoided or tried to avoid the reporting about what's going on in the highest offices of governance? It's too depressing. How many of us have joked about leaving the country for the next four to eight years? How many of us have thought about simply opting out of thinking about the, a clear way that's being made for corruption, oppression, cruelty, and distortion that will impact maybe, maybe not us, but maybe those we care about or simply understand are already bearing impossible burdens? The author of Luke tells us that this passage is a passage about prayer. And most people, I think, tend to think of it this way, right? That we must come before God, the judge, and pray and plead for justice. But if we try on this idea that we are the judge and God is the widow, here's what I, how I think it plays out. When we pray, we give God a hearing. When we pray, we let God come before our bench when we pray, we open our hearts and our minds to hearing the plea for justice that God is making day after day after day. When we pray, we can't, no matter how much we want to, we can't get that voice of the widow God out of our hearts and minds. Stay woke. Grant me justice. And so what if we were the judge? What if we were the ones with the power to make changes? What if it's God coming to us day after day, knocking on the doors of our hearts and saying, stay woke, grant me justice, stay woke? What does that say about what it means to be a Christian? It means that prayer is vital for understanding how to live out our commitments. Prayer keeps us clear-headed and laser-focused when people start deflecting 
and going down other avenues when they start trying to gaslight you. Prayer keeps you focused and clear-minded. Prayer reveals also how to act. And so it means we must act. It means that as God has put the possibility of shalom in our hands, it's on us to make it happen. We have an obligation to trouble the hearts and minds of those up the ladder of power. It means, like widow God, we demand to be heard and we reject answers that deflect and deceive and create chaos in our minds. It means we keep our eyes clear and our minds set on what we're working toward, that we refuse to be gaslit by the people who are skilled in the arts of deception and denial. Chaos is the language of the one who works against God's purposes. And so we must become so unrelentingly persistent in our pursuit of justice that we invade the consciousness of those who are trying to invade us. We call and we write and we march and refuse to shut up because this is what it means to take on the mantle of the persistent widow, the mantle of Jesus Christ, the mantle of all of those like John Lewis and Dr. King and so many more before them who made it possible for them to do their work have added to the curvature of the moral arc of the universe. We take on that mantle. It's on us. All of the giants are passing away. Are you seeing it happen? It's on us. And so today, of course, is especially appropriate for remembering the cost of God's cry for justice as we recall the life, ministry, and death of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. It might be tempting to write off Dr. King and his partners like uh, Representative Lewis as an anomaly, right? We're just regular people, nothing like them. Tempting, but completely false. Maybe they just God gave, gave God a frequent hearing. How are you positioning yourself to hear God's cries for justice? How are you putting yourself out there to act for God's vision of wholeness of life for all? You don't have to be Martin Luther King Jr. to make a difference. You don't have to be perfectly faithful to make a difference. But you do have to do your part to advance justice enough, just enough. Whether we're the widow or the judge or a little bit of both, the final question remains. Will the Son of Man find faith on earth? You tell me. Let's pray. God, we come before you sometimes afraid, sometimes lazy, sometimes not that faithful, but we're still coming before you. And so help us consistently to open our chambers to allow you a hearing. Even if we don't act the first or third or fifth time, God, keep working on us. Keep knocking on our hearts. Inspire us and light our imaginations on fire. And then help our prayers to become action in this world. In small ways, in big ways, in invisible ways that no one will ever know about. And maybe a few ways that we can post on Facebook. So that we can encourage others to do the same. God, be at work in us. Help us to have courage. Help us to be people of courage. And when we don't feel very courageous, help us to help one another be courageous. Because we know that this fight is a long fight that will go on beyond us. But help us to do our part in it so that those who follow 
can know that they are standing on the shoulders of giants. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus, who showed us how to multiply power through weakness. Amen. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. To break every chain, break every chain. Break every chain to break every chain, break every chain, break every chain. There is love rising up. There is love rising up. Rising up to break every chain, break every chain, break every chain, to break every chain, break every chain, break every chain. There is power in the name of Jesus. Break every chain, break every chain, 
Break every chain.